Uh, Guy, first of all, what's going on? Are you playing golf today in the rain out in Jersey? No, is, I'm not playing golf. Shirt? This is just a golf shirt that I threw on. By the way, your screensaver is like my favorite show. Power what? is a ridiculous. You should watch it if you haven't watched that's it. Crazy. Come on, man. Fitty, I'm, I'm on top of power, and, and that's the exciting news today. Uh, we're excited on commercial break to have with us Michael Burns, vice chairman of Lionsgate, uh, and Jeff Hirsch, president, CEO of the Stars Network. And, and gentlemen, first of all, welcome to commercial break with Tim and Guy. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us on. Exciting. It's a pleasure. And again, I'm sorry, Guy, uh, didn't get dressed up for you, but that's, you know, that's what we do here. Michael, as, as uh, someone that's been a friend of our show on CNBC for years, and, and uh, we want to talk about some of that background, but I, I love to just talk a little bit about how you went to, uh, you know, building and running one of the top studios and certainly the new age studios in Hollywood uh, as a guy that kind of like us, man, you're an East Coast guy. I uh, grew up in Jersey, New Canaan, Connecticut. I mean, I, I think I know your whole life story. I think I know what you were driving in high school. I know what bands you were listening to. Um, but give us, you know, give us that progression. Probably more importantly, you were a suit just like us working on Wall Street and you found your way to Hollywood. The short answer would be uh, I got a little tired of uh, too many airplanes as an, yeah. uh, as an investment banker, you know, traveling around the world. And uh, it was it was an interesting segue. I ended up being asked to go on the board of Lionsgate in 1999 uh, to try to, it was a tiny little company. And then at the same time that I was going on the board, my uh, old friend, John Feldheimer was gonna leave Sony. And so we came up with a plan with Gordy Crawford, who's now on our board. You'll see, by the way, a little insider buying for uh, Gordy recently um, and, okay. and maybe, maybe more of that. You guys know Gordy, probably the greatest media investor in the world. The right kind of insider buying. By the way. Exactly. So uh, anyway, th this was uh, an opportunity. And then uh, in 2000, John and I decided to do it full time, which was, hey, let's go out there and buy every available library we possibly can, because we didn't want to be the smart guys to to bet on any particular platform. And uh, we just knew there were a lot of new platforms coming. I mean, there was no such thing as streaming back then. So we assembled what is arguably one of the greatest libraries in the world, independent libraries for sure. And we said, all right, let's, let's go buy some companies and figure out what works. And then a big deal that we made, and we're very happy to have, have, have added Jeff Hirsch at the same time was Stars, which was a game changer for us because it yep. gave us a lot of recurring revenue. Uh, and, and the bet there was that Jeff and his team could put together fantastic programming and continue to build that business. And so that's sort of how this thing evolved. And now we're a much bigger company. Stock's been higher, but we're optimistic. You know, the Stars acquisition, and I think it was June of 2016, if memory serves. I remember we talked about it on the show. A lot of people were raging against that. It turned out to be one of the best things you've ever done. But Jeff, talk about your rise from playing lacrosse at the University of Pennsylvania, by the way, with our friend Dan Nathan, to becoming the, basically the president of Stars. I mean, that's a huge, it's, it's an amazing what you've accomplished in a very short period of time. Well, thanks. It was, uh, you know, it was fun playing every day in practice against Danny. I don't think he scored many goals on me. He was an attack when I was in the goalie. So we had, we had a hey, lot hold of Hold on, Jeff, sorry to interrupt. Um, Dan used the term yard sale uh, as it referenced practice. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, he, uh, there's a lot of napping on Danny's part, I think. Uh, you know, a lot of late nights. But uh, no, he was a good player from that, you know, upstate New York cabal of Syracuse. So he, he was a good player. He came down with a couple guys and we had some fun. So you know, I, I was, uh, when Michael was starting at Lionsgate, I was just getting out of business school and, uh, 
you know, as luck have it, I joined Time Warner Cable, you know, in 99 and was spent 15 years running cable systems all over the country. So, you know, while Michael was tired of getting on airplanes, I was tired of stringing cable and, and you know, building cable systems all over the place. And was lucky enough to run into Chris Albrecht, who was running Stars at the time, and convinced me to come over and help him, you know, really transition the business from a, you know, a domestic linear network with one revenue stream to what we are today, which is a data-driven global streaming service that's in 50 countries around the world. And, uh, you know, I think we, we saw the consumer shift very early on, and we decided to kind of cannibalize ourselves and really drive this, you know, streaming service. And, you know, today we've got more global OTT subs than we do linear subs. And it's been a really great transition. And I think it's coupling that with what we did when we put the companies together with Lionsgate, where we got access to the library that Michael talked about. It's been a real wonderful combination of the two companies. And I think you're seeing it in the results today. It's incredible. Uh, again, you know, COVID, we've all seen this as accelerated trends that were already in place. So, uh, you know, I, I'd like to believe a lot of these trends for you guys were were well in place, in fact. Uh, and, and the move away from linear TV, uh, you know, the death of linear TV, whatever we want to say, I mean, this has been well flagged as well. But Michael, you know, ultimately, Lionsgate is a content machine. And, and part of this has been mixing uh, some of the great library and catalog purchases with your own content and and just talk about that because we spent so much time assessing the media business uh as being so content driven but but that was seems like it was yesterday's conversation and when media companies traded at their peaks including you know a higher share price for lionsgate which I, I don't think is indicative of the underlying value but you know media companies were trading on content value um and they seem to be trading more uh, as much at least on on distribution uh, and the obviously the sub base and the recurring revenue stream. So, g give us your vision of this combined entity that now seems to be clicking on all cylinders. But um, how how you guys fit into a media business that's that's changing? Uh, and thank you for that. I would say that the that the industrial logic to putting stars together with Lionsgate is now coming through because you need to have Jeff will tell you that that certain people you know. Come, may come for the movies that are on stars, but they're going to stick around for the original content, which are the new shows. And so he's got his pipeline really, really zooming. And he'll tell you about that, what he's got lined up. So the, for us, it's that we, we didn't have the, frankly, the, the overhead or the legacy that we had to dismantle. Uh, what happens is that as we've, Put together these companies and put together these this asset base. What happens is that is that you keep the best and the brightest, and you continually streamline your business. And you know we're we're doing that every single quarter. And then what happens is is that you're you're trying to do everything you can to have all of the pieces, whether it's the library, whether it's stars, whether it's the motion picture group, or the television production. You know Jeff is working hand in hand with Kevin Beggs and the television production right now. And you can talk about certainly about how many shows he has going together with uh, Lionsgate television. But the, the vision is not that complicated, is keep this giant content creation engine going with this streaming platform and, and having it create significant profits. And also, you know, when we, when we did the Stars deal, let's be clear, it was a lot of leverage to buy that. Uh, and what's happened yep. is that we are continually delevering, as you can see next last uh, uh, last quarter's results, we're delevering. So as we continue to expand a fairly aggressive international expansion for stars, 
and still have the ability to delever, that's a good combination for us. 100%. And Jeff, on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about all those things. But before we go to commercial, real quick, who's your favorite character on Power? Because I find them all just horrible human beings, but I'm drawn to them. It's incredible. <laughs> it's genius. Jeff. You know, that, 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 that's a hard question. Here, I'll say I love all my children the same. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Listen, if you guys can stick around, we want to talk some more about uh, everything, talk about your favorite bands, all the things we typically talk about on a commercial break. But on the other side, we're going to be back with uh, Michael Burns and Jeff Hirsch. Commercial break with Tim and Guy coming back right after this. Hey, it's Tim. We're back on commercial break with Michael Burns, Vice Chairman of Liongate, and Jeff Hirsch, CEO and President of STARS. And Jeff, you know, as we come back here, we started to talk uh, a bit about the OTT business, but I want to read some stats. I mean, the, the last quarter, uh, you guys reported, first of all, crushing on subgrowth in 2020, uh, reporting OTT subscri subscriber growth, best you've seen ever, uh, to 9.2 million, up from 7.4 in the previous quarter, uh, and global OTT up by 2.3 million uh, to 13.7. You know, talk about this in the context of what's a stay-at-home kind of world in COVID and, and all of the, the, the obvious, uh, you know, dynamics there. Um, but talk about the engagement and talk about the stickiness uh, of this incredible OTT growth. Yeah, it's been a, a phenomenal quarter for STARS, you know, really helped out with the, the content coming from the Lionsgate side of the house. You know, I think if you take a step back and you look at what's going on in the industry right now, we've got this kind of you know, reimagining of, of the video business where you used to have five or six cable companies domestically. You've got these really big, well-funded companies like Disney Plus and HBO Max and Hulu and Netflix and Disney Plus really trying to become that first S-Bot in the home and, and be a very broad-based streaming service that really gives content for everybody in the home. That has never been what Star, how Stars was ever built. We were always this very premium adult tier sitting on top of what I used to call basic television, or now I call basic streaming. And because of that, and we like to say it's content that people really want to pay for, you know, as people continue to shift over to the OTT side, they're continuing to find our service as a great premium add-on sitting on top of that. And we've seen record growth in the business because of it. Uh, we saw that coming into the pandemic in February, we're on a, on a tear in terms of growth because the content that we had was resonating, and I'll talk about that in a minute. And then as people got stuck at home and we're looking for fresh content, you know, we had the luxury of shooting our shows a year in advance. And so we've launched four new pieces of content during the pandemic. So, you know, that coupled with our, our Lionsgate uh, library, our Sony Pay One, we've been a real sweet spot for people to find the service and stick with the service. You know, as the difference between my old life at the cable business is it was harder to disconnect back then because you had a call and have a truck and today you can click in and click out. We've spent a long and a lot of time scheduling our content so that people move from one show to the next to the next. We talked about power early on. Um, power had power season six had a record season for us. We launched the first spinoff of the universe of ghost, which is the first chapter out of that power, which had record, you know, record viewership and engagement, record signups. I think we were up 42% over the past season. We saw a 33% increase and viewership on the show. We have two more coming, and so we'll have something on the air every week, 52 weeks a year for that audience. And so churn comes down, subscribers accelerate, and you see more and more quarters like you've seen today. And so we've really flipped the business from being, like I said earlier, this linear single revenue stream domestic company 
to a data-driven global streaming service. And we really kind of hit that inflection point where we have more global subs now that are OTT than linear. And within the next, you know, you know, 12 to 16 months, we'll actually have more digital revenue than we have linear revenue globally as well. So been, you know, we were on a really great track moving in based on our content. The pandemic hit and only helped at that point. Jeff, I appreciate that. It's amazing. And I will tell you, Michael, I remember we talked in 2016, a lot of people were pushing back on the STARS acquisition. It was, a, it was definitely a risky bet, turned out to be a great bet. But I remember when you used to come on our show, Fast Money, back in 08 and 09, you were in the midst of a very public, um, not dispute, but back and forth with Carl Icahn. And you were, you know, I remember you coming on the show, you were so steadfast, so strong. And my sense is this was, you know, you learned something and we did a little digging and your dad's a World War II vet. Yesterday was Veterans Day. Can you speak to some of the lessons you learned from him that really, I think, set you up for the success you enjoy today? Yeah, it's funny. I posted a little something to my father from Iwo Jima, uh, who he landed on Iwo Jima in February '45. I used to say that he, uh, I, I called him unkillable. I mean, here's a guy that he was an advertising executive, uh, a Madison Avenue man. He, uh, he uh, yep. would enjoy his martinis at lunch, smoke five packs of Camel Non Filters a day for 55 years. They sunk his battleship. He landed at Iwo Jima. I used to call him unkillable. Um, but a couple of things you said, you know, funny, I was going back and forth with Melissa because uh, I said, that, you know, I'll come in the show after, uh, after earnings if you'll have me. She said, well, we'd love you. All the guys like having you on the show. And so do I. And one of the things that I think my, that stuck with me about my, that my father said, he said, never forget your old friends. And, uh, and he also used to say, don't trust anybody that doesn't have old friends. So, uh, and I think there's a, uh, some, some truth to that. So I think that, uh, look, it's always nice to have good timing and uh, to get lucky on occasion. But I think if you really sort of stick with it and grind through it, and yes, uh, the Carl Icahn of it all, that was, uh, that was a turbulent time. Uh, and I, I joke about it, say it's about as much fun as I could stand. Uh, <laughs> but but it, as the ancient Greek said so well, you, uh, you suffer your way to wisdom. Yeah. Well, it's 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 a it's a period though in the development and the formation of the company that I think allowed you guys to not only eat, and as as a, a former call you dare I call you a former Wall Street guy, um, understanding the balance between the the shareholder community, um, the the balance sheet, uh, and then channeling the vision you had for the company, I, I I think was part of what you were there. You know that was part of fighting your corner. Um, I, I you know I'd love to Jeff even switch gears slightly and hear a little bit about your vision of the world of gaming and media. And, and I know there's, you know, there's a big, you know, there's a big element of gaming, I, I think, uh, at the network and some dynamics here that would be interesting for all those folks that, you know, guy sits around on his PlayStation all day. I'm surprised he even shows up to Fast Money. Um, but, but, you know, media companies to me, uh, I think are going to be interactive. Uh, and so gaming obviously is that we talk about the, you know, the, the world of online sports betting and where the interactivity of media companies into the sports world. But I, I'd love to hear your vision of this, um, especially gaming, because uh, it's all my kids are doing, probably everybody's kids. Je Jeff's working on a bunch of stuff, but he can't talk about it. <laughs> but, okay. Uh, all right. Well, look, but, we, no, but go ahead, look, Jeff. Yeah. We appreciate that. Say, look, it's, I mean, it's different than when I grew up, right? Like, I mean, I, my parents kicked me out of the house and said, grab a, grab a bat, a sticker. So hold on, Jeff, we, I, I don't want to interrupt, but are we talking, we talking Pac-Man, we talking Frogger, we talking Galaga. What, <laughs> I was, you know, what I was, was on the lacrosse field at like three. 
You know, my parents kicked <laughs> me out of the house and were like, don't go any, don't, you're not going to sit in the house. You're going to go exercise. You're going to go learn a sport, you know? Um, and so I, I was never really a gamer growing up, but I will say this from watching and the stuff that Michael's talking about, <clears throat> it is, you know, and knowing a bunch of the guys that own esports teams and we had a, we have a small piece in one. It is a phenomenal, phenomenal, you know, movement. Yeah. I mean, the fact that people are watching other people play a video game and they are so passionate about it and so dialed in and can't wait. And it's, you know, it's like me going to a Pats game, right? It's, it's, it's almost the same thing. And uh, who, um, what kind of a game? What? Patriots, New England Patriots. <laughs> right, what? Yeah, Sorry. that's oh, right. God. Sorry. Now he's, he's going to start talking about Super Bowl rings, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plenty of them. You know what? You know what? He's got the, he's got the foundation from which to have that conversation, but we're, we're, you know, We'll, we'll talk about Mets Yankees in a little bit, but anyway, okay. so keep going. But, uh, you know, look, whenever you can build a global base, subscriber base, whether it's gaming, whether it's stars OTT of that scale, right, you are a really important person in the ecosystem. And, you know, I, I think it gives the gaming platforms a lot of ability to expand into other businesses, whether it's, you know, content, whether it's podcasts, whether it's, um, you know, fundamentally different partnerships. And, and I think the world will start to merge and you'll start to see that. Um, for us, a little different because our content is, is very R-rated in a sense. So it's, it's not as easy to put that together with a, a gaming platform. But I do think you'll start to see uh, strange bedfellows emerge um, you know, with gaming and video and, and the size and scale of what we're seeing as technology shrinks the world. It just, it's, kids are so passionate about it. And as that generation flips to becoming adults, it's, it's something you really have to pay attention to and be a part of unless you're going to get left behind. Yeah, Jeff, I, my sense is Outlander, the video game is probably not going to fly, but we'll get into that a little bit but later. Power I gotta say, very Outlander good is crazy. Look, you guys probably saw this. You, uh, uh, maybe, you know, I've got uh, a 13 year old that soon to be a 14 year old that loves Fortnite and, and, uh, yeah. He was uh, so excited that even though uh, John Wick's a little bit above his age uh, to watch, although I, he's probably snuck a few views, but uh, you know they had the John Wick character, the skin inside of Fortnite. So those worlds are colliding. With you know power and the power universe, which is so tied to music and clothing and dancing, and it, it's a real that that universe is a real good tie-in for gaming. Guy, I know you have a question for Michael, but you just brought up music, Jeff. So I need a guilty pleasure band. Uh, I, I know where you grew up. I, you know, I know your age group. I mean, is it Duran Duran? What are we talking about? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I would say in the order of top three, it's probably Dave Matthews Band, Prince, and then sadly, my guilty pleasure is Celine Dion. During the holidays, during the holidays. What holidays? Like Arbor Day? I mean, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. So look, we'll come back to that because I'm going to grill you a little bit. But Michael, it's it's incredible. It really is incredible what you've built at Lionsgate, without question. Who do you? <clears throat> I know everybody. You know everybody talks. Do you have a mentor, somebody that you speak to? Whose brain do you pick when you're thinking about uh, making some of these deals and doing some some of these acquisitions? You know, it's a good question. I would say that the mentor in my life has been. Uh, uh, you know, I've known him since I was, he was the next door neighbor of mine, uh, uh, and he's a little bit older than I am, but Wick Simmons, who was the, uh, as you know, the, he's the guy that recruited me over to Prudential from, uh, yep. uh, actually, first he recruited me from Merrill Lynch to Shearson, and then uh, later on from, uh, 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 from Shearson over to Prudential. So I would say Wick Simmons, who's on our board, and Wick's 80 now, and, but he's, he's just a tremendous uh, 
a person and thinker, and also Gordy Crawford from a standpoint of Gordy's been uh, 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 working with me. I've gone fishing. He's my friend. Uh, he's 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 tremendous. And then there are some people out there that, you know, I think uh, I, I miss having John Malone on the board because John was certainly a. Uh, I was happy to see him. We support a lot, uh, this uh, same political candidate uh, out of uh, Maine who just won a very tough re-election uh, fight, Susan Collins. But I, I obviously just talking to John is like is like a you know a mini N MBA every conversation, yeah. and I like and I'll tell you who else I like uh, ex marine uh, and I I talked to him a little bit and I had a dinner with him recently. I'm a big fan of Fred Smith uh, at at FedEx. FedEx and and so uh, you know there and and I like Reed very much and I like Ted. I had a little dinner up at Ted's house. Uh, they had a little birthday dinner for me and uh, the Madam Ambassador uh, recently up in uh, their beautiful house in Santa Barbara. But, uh, you know, I think that we're all, you know, doing our best to, you know, if you have lifelong relationships, you want to you wanna have a, a certain go-to group of people that you can say, look, does this sound like insanity? And I'll tell you something, even though we're different on the political spectrum and, and John and I are like brothers, John Feldheimer, uh, but uh, I think we both respect uh, each other's viewpoints, even if they're very different. And I think when we come to a, uh, the same place. Like I'll, I'll give you an example. When Chris was out recruiting uh, Jeff Hirsch and John was involved with that, um, you know, when I think we both see that when there are certain needs at the company uh, that we, uh, you know, figure out, I think uh, oftentimes together, do we have the same viewpoint? And, you know, there's some long-termers at the, at the company. And, and I think that it, the one thing that is, I believe sort of not necessarily talked about very often and you look at all these changes going on in the studios out there, the longevity of this management team. I mean, Kevin Beggs, who runs television for us, is, was actually at the company, you know, the, the, basically the startup company that Frank Juster started uh, before we were there. But, you know, Kevin has been there running television, you know, forever with Sondra Stern. And, you know, we have executives that have been around here a very long time. And if you look at all the turmoil going on at the other studios, I think that stability is a pretty important uh, thing to have out there. And, and I think that uh, we're not going through, you know, every few quarters, another restructuring. Jeff, let me weave now that concept uh, with some DMB, you know, ants marching. Um, so Michael's talking about just the longevity and some of the legacy players. Um, Stars is everywhere. And, and your, your OTT growth, whether it's international or domestic, is, is, is also somewhat you know, tied to the strength of, of legacy platforms uh, and new cutting edge platforms. You guys, you know, the great thing about Lionsgate is you're everywhere and you, you are friends with everyone. Uh, but I, I'm curious your view on maybe which upstart uh, medium, you know, you tell me where you think there's an exciting distribution channel or where you guys are growing the most uh, relative to some of the legacy places? It's a great question. I, you know, I, I think one from an, uh, just a content creation perspective, the whole, you know, this is not going to sound new, but the whole podcast world, I think is a really unique way to source content that we can turn into video, uh, into great shows. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a little more of a head start because you're not reading it on a page but you're really hearing the story fold out and so it's it's a great place to source a lot of great fresh shows from which has been great 
you know, I think the world, the technology has really shrunk the world in a way that we didn't expect four or five years ago. You know, the Amazons, the Googles, the Apples, they kind of look what they were doing domestically and said, oh boy, we, we've got platforms around the world. We can do this video in other places. And so it's really taken the world and made it very accessible for networks like Stars and, and really helped Lionsgate in terms of the library and the success that you saw in the quarter in the library. Um, but I think there's parts of the world that have just been untapped to us. Brazil is a great market for us for video. We've just launched it in there recently and the, and the growth has been extraordinary. UK is another market for us that's been an extraordinary market. And I think outside the US is probably four years behind what we've seen domestically in terms of the consumer changing its habits from watching linear TV to watching over the top or SVOD. And so it's a really, you know, ripe market outside the US that's kind of you know, plant the flag, put your, your, you know, U.S. content in there and grow a business. And so we think we've got a two to three year head start than anybody else. While people are reorganizing domestically, we're head down and off and running and growing a base and building a brand. So, you know, I think those markets like, you know, U.K., Brazil, LATAM that really have not been fully accessible to us because it's been harder to get on the linear networks down there. Now that we can go direct or we can go onto a global you know, tech platform, it's been a, a great opportunity. Oh, it's opened the world for us in a big way. I was just going to say one thing. I was thinking about the video game. As I, I looked at my, uh, my Apple Watch, which I like. Eddie Q was nice enough to send uh, John and uh, me one of these. It's pretty, it's pretty nice. You don't need your phone to actually talk on it. But we were thinking about our relationship with Apple and talking about the, uh, the video game space. If you haven't seen the show Mythic Quest, which is on, on Apple, it's about basically a, 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 a gaming company. It's the guys from uh, Sunny in Philadelphia. That team is just incredible run by Rob, but uh, it's, it's worth watching. You'll really like the show. I still struggle, you know, finding some of these stations, but I'm a bit of a dinosaur. But I, <laughs> everything, I tell you, stars, and I'm not just saying this because you're on, I mean, it's amazing. We find ourselves watching stars more than probably any other network. But Michael, I want to change gears and say, you probably were in middle, maybe grade school when the Jets won their first and only Super Bowl. And you're a Jet fan. I won't hold that against you. Uh, talk to me about where the Jets are, your allegiance. Who drew you to the Jets? Was it a Joe Namath thing as a kid? And how have you maintained steadfast your belief? It's funny. I was, it's about – I was uh, born in 1958, and uh, – 1968, 69, so it's the perfect year to actually, I could still name the entire starting lineup for the New York Mets. You know, I could go <laughs> around the horn, the horn with you right now. And, and, and I, uh, the only time I've ever asked anyone for a autograph was uh, number 41 for the Mets. You guys know who that is, who recently, yes. who recently passed away, yes. Tom Seaver. And so the New York Jets, of course, by the way, that, uh, uh, you know, Broadway Joe and, and you know, the, the Jets. I think the Jets are going to have a much better year, terrible year this year. I mean, they lost uh, the, too many guys to injuries. And I don't know, the jury's still out on Sam Darnold. But the, uh, we'll see how he does when he has all his receivers back. But then if they do end up with the number one draft pick, do they make that, that call out and, and, you know, go for that, uh, that Clemson superstar? Maybe. But they, I'll tell you, they, when they traded uh, – Adams, they got a lot of draft picks, so they're going to have they're going to have a lot of draft picks. I know that I know that Jeff is envious of that because the Patriots don't have that many great draft picks. So <laughs> we'll so we'll see. But I, you but, know, but we like, have a head coach, which is probably the most important. <laughs> uh, who 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 at one point you know laced up his cleats for the Jets for about a yeah day. for about fifteen uh, for about fifteen uh, minutes. Uh, no, look, my 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 best friend in the world is uh, involved with the Jets, and and so I think it'll be uh, I think it'll be a great. Uh, 
uh, it'll be a transition year, but I think they're going to have some great picks. So we'll see. But again, it's a, it's a recurring um, headache when you every year starts out so promising and then a bunch of injuries happen or a bunch of things that they can't control. So that, that does get a little frustrating. But uh, my father used to wear a, uh, uh, when, we, when I was a little kid after we moved, uh, before we moved to Connecticut, we lived in, uh, in Chicago, outside Chicago. And my father used to wear a sweatshirt said the Chicago Cubs, if it takes forever. So, uh, and uh, even, you know, even the Chicago Cubs uh, came back. So I am optimistic. Took a Boston guy to do that too. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That. Well, I, I am optimistic that the Jets will come back. Not this year. It, it, no. It's interesting. Uh, and the Tom Seaver reference, look, for any Met fan, the fact that a, a statue of Tom Seaver, even when he was alive, wasn't front and center uh, in the the Jackie Robinson rotunda as you come into City Field, which, you know, all the credit and all the respect in the world for, for Jackie Robinson, of course. But the fact that Tom Seaver, you know, I, I, I call him a top 10 baseball player, especially when you consider what he was like off the field, um, you know, bringing, bringing his legacy back in the form of a statue. Stevie Cohen is going to do that for us. So I, I love to hear your orange and blue allegiance. And Jeff, um, what can we say? I mean, you know, Belichick really earned his chops under uh, the, the, the tuna. Uh, Bill Parcells is a Jersey guy. I don't know what happened. I don't know where the Boston thing came from, man. Talk. I mean, how did that even happen? For me, I, you know, I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. So I grew oh, okay. up, you know, 20 minutes south of Foxborough. And we were a season ticket holder. You know, I know it was when it was Schaefer Stadium and it was the metal benches and it was, you know, you'd stick to the, stick to the bench in, you know, early December. And uh, they were, you know, was the Stevie Grogan riverboat gambler days, and they were one in fifteen. I think people forget about how bad the Pats were before the last twenty years, but they were, they, we had, we had some tough years. I mean, you know, I went to the '85 Super Bowl, the Bears, and got shellacked at '86 against the Packers, and I went to the first Giants one. So I stopped going because I realized that was who was your QB in '86 and '85 against the Bears? It was uh, it was, it was, it was Tony Eason. No, it was, Bledsoe? It, was, it was Bledsoe. It wasn't Bledsoe. E Eason, Eason was the quarterback in 85. Right. Yeah. Okay. It was him and Grogan. But it was Bledsoe. Okay. I think it was Bledsoe in 86. I love Steve Grogan because he was the only quarterback in not only the NFL, but in, in the history of, of football that wore a neck roll, which I Yeah, that thing was like, it was a fantastic. small Well, the guy had a building. neck like a giraffe. I it was mean, a small it, building, you know. yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, a, other than hockey, which I switched my allegiance when I moved to New York to the Rangers. My man. Uh, right on. You know, so, uh, you know, there's no, there's no place better than watching a hockey game in Madison Square Garden. End of story. So it's uh, the best. Now you're talking our language. So, so, Michael, real quick. So one, you can go to one concert. So we're, you know, you're a little bit older than me, not much. One concert, band in their heyday. What are you going to see? Well, it's funny you mentioned Madison Square Garden. That's the first concert I went to. I uh, took the train from New Canaan with a bunch of my buddies. Uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Madison Square Garden. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And, Where and were you I, sitting? Not particularly good seats. <laughs> but it, but it, yeah. really, it really didn't matter. My first concert was Worcester Mass Genesis. Genesis. So that, I mean, and what year was that, Jeff? Must have been 85. 85. So... You were doing something straight from merry-go-round or chess king, possibly. Um, you know, maybe a 
you know, some some padded shoulder pads or something like that. You, I think it was the ashes wash jean jacket yeah. and pants because I think I went to Jovi the next week <laughs> at the big donut. No doubt. All right. So you're just tuning up. You're teasing the hair yeah. a little bit. A little bit. Um, yeah. Early mullet. My second choice would be uh, Arizona uh, in the 70s, uh, a three-hander, the Eagles, Jackson Brown, and Linda Wow. Wow. All right, that's that's a not worthy moment. That's that's incredible. In fact, I I would put if I could beam myself back anywhere in time, I'd be cruising down the, the PCH in a in a in a convertible 68 67 convertible Stang listening to the Eagles um, and driving to a Linda Ronstadt show. Um, speaking of driving. All right. So so, Michael, give me what kind of wheels were you driving in high school? It's New Canaan. So it's probably something I'm, I'm guessing like a a BMW i325 no, I, or something? I, I, I actually bought a car my senior year for like $100. It was a 1965 Buick Skylark convertible. <laughs> Fantastic. And then, by the way, and, it had, and it, when I bought it, it, it was white, but it had a blue door because they'd replaced the door. So uh, we fixed it up uh, with a bunch of friends of mine, but uh, that was my, uh, my first car. So, Jeff, I know I want to be respectful of both your time, but yep. you know, we mentioned lacrosse way back when. And we'll talk about it now. I, I don't know if you have a relationship with Paul Rabel, but he's done some amazing, amazing things with lacrosse. I mean, is there any sense, like, do you, at, at some point, the stars look at the professional sports? I mean, is there any crossover there, or is that just not a lane you want to skate in? You know, we're really focused. I mean, look, I think the game has really come a long way. When I was out here in 86 with Time Warner Cable, they were just building a lacrosse field in uh, El Segundo, and now it's any night in El Segundo you go, there's a game every night with kids and it's really taken off. I think the pro league has done a really good job of trying to shrink the, um, the game a little bit for TV. You know, and I think the, the, the thing that I'm most excited about is the bunch of the guys, uh, you know, put together this Harlem lacrosse foundation where they're teaching kids in Harlem to play lacrosse and they're getting scholarships to great schools. And I, and I think that, you know, giving back that way and, putting the stick in hands of people who just normally wouldn't get it that are, you know, super athletic is a, is a great, you know, feeder into education for people who just don't have access to it. So that's, I think the thing that when I see emails from the guys, that's the thing that I get most excited about is that, that program there. Um, but, you know, for us, our, our real lane is focusing, we have the largest composition of women uh, in premium networks on air and then African-Americans on air. And, and so we'll stick to that. We, I don't think, you know, what premium really is, is adult, you know, non-ad supported deep storylines. And it's really content people want to pay for. So I don't think you're going to see us move into the, you know, the world where you like hard knocks on HBO or the, the Notre Dame doc that you saw on, um, uh, on Showtime. We're, we're really going to stick to these great dramas like Outlander and Power and, and continue to put something on the air every week for that audience to serve the core demos that we have. I was going to say to that point, when you talk about seduced, which is just crushing it. Yeah. So we just put a, you know, we have a docu-series that we just put on. It's called seduced. It's the inside look at the Nexium cult. Uh, HBO had one called the vow. Yeah. Um, we took a much different point of view because we, we, most of our programming really is through the gaze of the, the female point of view. Uh, we actually had India and Catherine Oxenberg, who were, you know, the probably most high-profile victims of the cult, uh, exclusively talking about how they actually, you know, got taken into the cult and then kind of brainwashed into it and can then also out. It's been a phenomenal success globally. Uh, it's one of our top performers in Brazil, UK, France, and in the U.S. right now. And it's a real 
interesting look from the victim point of view, which I think is not what the HBO show did, and it's been getting rave reviews. And uh, it's just fascinating to watch Catherine, the mother, you know, be relentless about trying to pull her daughter out of this um, and get her out, and then having her to be, you know, kind of reprogrammed from all the brainwashing during that period of time over the last two years. It's uh, it's a it's a very open and honest and, and, and ripping story, but it's, it's also sad in a sense too, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm happy she was able to tell that story on the network because it's, I think it's really educational for a lot of people. I think you hit on the, through the lens perspective uh, of how we're all consuming media and how we're all consuming drama and, and uh, docudrama is, is critical. And my guess is engagement and the, the loyalty and, and the passion around a lot of your programming is coming from uh, you know, taking a non-conventional look at situations. Close, at least for, for us, um, giving, giving us, you know, sitting atop of the media world, um, the, the, the marriage that is really uh, distribution and content and, and where, you know, where possibly uh, there are, is going to be a, a nuance to this or where you guys are really driving hard because it seems like um, they're both very complimentary and just love to get your vision. Well, I was gonna say that if we, if we take a look at content for a second, we've talked a lot about stars. I think that between Lionsgate and stars right now, we have 20 television series in, in, uh, back in production, 20. Um, and so then on the, on the feature film side, I think John and, and Joe have greenlit, I don't know, recently, and in the last, probably the last 30 days, eight films. So we're in a unique spot that, again, we don't have this legacy overhead that others do. So, and we're also making our feature films and eventually the theaters will come back. The question is when, but we're making feature films in this mid budget level that gives us a tremendous amount of, of, uh, of uh, flexibility and optionality that, you know, whether the theaters are open or not open at that point. So we've got a lot of uh, vines to swing to, so to speak. So again, I think that we're starting to see, and again, eventually the market will recognize this, in my opinion, is that we're starting to see the, the, why it does make sense to have this streaming flat platform, uh, to have uh, stars, which is this giant premium uh, uh, channel, and with a, as Jeff mentioned, the very specific point of view. So the idea that we could have our pay one window there, we could not have our pay one window window there, we could end up having, you know, Jeff can license movies that he thinks make sense in his schedule. We can produce shows uh, with stars at the same time that we've got the flexibility of uh, licensing shows to other platforms that probably wouldn't fit with what, what, uh, what Jeff is creating uh, or building over there. And that puts us in a world where nobody really knows where the puck is gonna be in many ways, gives us a lot of flexibility to be nimble, which is frankly our strong suit. And as we're in a position where we're quickly delevering, and so somebody can't say, oh, they're too levered, and, uh, uh, and that goes away. And if you have our television business stars, feature film business, library just, you know, library's just crushing it. And it's not, it's not difficult to figure out why that is because everybody else is hoarding their own content. So that means that all these other platforms and uh, channels are looking for library product. Well, guess what? We're um, one of the only places that has that available uh, library product to, to license.
So I think all that stuff is, it feels like it's all going the right direction right now. And it's painful to get there as you sort of try to integrate everything and tell the story. But I think the story is getting simpler to tell and, and, and it will resonate. Well, listen, on behalf of Tim, Michael Burns, uh, Jeff, Jeff Hirsch, thanks so much for being with us on commercial break. This has been educational. It's been fun. Celine Dion, notwithstanding, I wow. loved every minute of it. <laughs> thanks, Dude, guys. it's Christmas thanks, time. Sir. I mean, it's one of the best Christmas albums in the history of Christmas albums. Hey, a guy, <laughs> brings a tears guy, to my I eyes. A guy, I didn't tell you this. I, I will tell you this, and I'll defend Jeff a little bit. I'll tell you who I really like. I like Dolly Parton. <laughs> I do, too, by the way. Um, I, just, I just think that I don't know if you've listened to her podcast. I mean, this is an incredible woman. She is very strong, very thoughtful, obviously ridiculously talented. She brought Colbert to tears the other night. So, uh, and then when I watched that, it was like the domino effect. So, uh, she's when I first see the first Lexus holiday time, Chris, you know, Christmas TV commercial, I throw on the Crucibums. It's, it's Christmas time. <laughs> always, we got we to have something to be excited about after being in you know, your home for eight months. So. Well, all right. That's so, but sure. I, if we're talking Christmas albums, and I love having the final word. It's the Partridge Family Christmas album that goes on first in my house. There you go. It's a good one. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys.